we've got a second service coming on really quick. And uh, let me just give you a little bit of the background of what's going on with this. And it's just super fun. Um, it's going to be an interactive service, um, kind of unlike anything I've seen before. The, the interesting story going all the way back to 1517 on October 31st, which was All Hallows' Eve, a guy by the name of Martin Luther, who was a teacher in a, in a school there, um, and a former Augustinian monk, comes to the church door, um, the castle church door in Wittenberg, Germany, which was kind of the, uh, the post, it was the center of town and the, the I don't know, the billboard where, where you would kind of post everything. And he nails 95 complaints against the church and against Christianity, Catholic Christianity, which is the only kind of Christianity in those days, um, to this, this, this door. And he does it in Latin. The reason he does it in Latin is he's looking for other people like himself, learned scholars, to debate some issues about the church that he has issues with. The next day is All Saints Day. So All Hallows' Eve comes before All Saints' Day. We call All Hallows' Eve, October 31st, Halloween. The next day is All Saints' Day. And what was going to happen was Frederick the Wise, was, who's kind of the protector over this area, was going to display his relics the next day. Now, the relics were bones of supposed saints, and if you came and prayed or venerated these relics, um, what would happen, the idea in those days was you would have grace added to your bank account. It was a very, very economic way of looking at grace, and you'd have, by doing these acts, these pious religious acts, you'd have grace added to your bank account, which would help you out um, someday with purgatory and different things like that. And Luther had a real issue with the, the venerating of, of these bones and the practice of what was going on. And so the day before all this was going to happen, he, he posted his 95 theses, and he said, let's basically dialogue, let's debate about these issues. That's the date, October 31st, 1517, that we know as Reformation Day. Um, that sparked the Reformation, which was really a move to go back to Scripture and say, what did New Testament Christianity look like? What was authentic Christianity in the New Testament? And how do we wrestle with this? How do we begin to ask these questions? How do we go back there? There's something interesting about that um, that I think we're picking up on, trying to pick up on with this second service, is that there's always, there are always going to be problems with the church. There are always going to be issues with cultural norms that we pull into Christianity that, that are sometimes dissonant with our Christianity, sometimes flat out wrong with what Scripture would say Christianity ought to be, following Christ ought to be. Um, there's confusion, there's doubts, there's hurts, there's pains, there's, there's questions. Jesus, as he walked around, entertained questions. People were able to dialogue with him about matters of faith. And, and even if they wanted him to just give like a lecture on something, he would come back with a different question because he really wanted to get at the heart of what was, was happening with people um, and not just shoot over the heads or kind of have a stale lecture and things like that. And so there has to be a form, I think, in Christianity to be able to look at what's going on and, and different trends and different things and different questions and different hurts and different needs and to be able to bring those to the surface and dialogue. And so in some sense, that was what church was always about to a degree, people coming together and talking about the most important things with the authority source being Scripture, with the idea that in this dialogue we learn. And so what we're trying to do with this second service is make it a Q&A-based service. And what I would say is what we're trying to do is give church back to the people 
that church was created for. We're, we're trying to take and give church back to the church and make it a little less formal. And it doesn't mean that this is wrong. I like what we're doing here, and there's a need for what we're doing here. What's cool is to be able to bring in something different and complementary that's totally out of the box and, and allows us to get at something um, those, those nagging things, those frustrations, those issues, those questions, your friend, you, your wife, your kids, whatever. Um, so this service is going to be uh, at 8.30 in the morning. It's only going to go an hour and 15 minutes. No announcements, no offering. Offering, if you want to give it, will be at the back. And we'll have interviews about things we're going to call everyday spirituality. So bring somebody up and talk about how do you make reading the Bible work. It's difficult for all of us. How do you make it work? And these things that we, that we know are important, but they're so commonplace, they're so mundane in some sense that we never actually talk about them, but they're the actual things of our, our spiritual life. <laughs> how do you make prayer work? I mean, you know, we all struggle with it. What do you do? And what is your family doing? How do you do this with your kids? And what do you do in these times of dryness? And how do you make journaling work? And these things of everyday spirituality. And when the, the guy from Congo comes or something like that, it's like, tell us about the Congo. And then opening it up to the audience. When was the last time you heard a guy from Africa speak where you actually got to ask the questions? And we're going to have themes for months. So faith and doubt, world religions, scripture, uh, the nature of the church. And so as we move, we're going to have different themes. So it's not going to be five weeks in like, wow, we're recycling the same questions. Um, it's going to kind of move and have a center of gravity to it that way. And we'll start by five minutes like showing a video clip or reading something out of the news or opening up the Bible and teaching something just compact and then letting that be the jumping off point to questions and interaction and dialogue that way. Um, and then an, even the ability to ask the audience questions and take polls and things like that. Um, so we're trying to work on some technology. You'd be able to email in questions during the week. Um, if we can figure it out, we should be able to. We got like a lot of nerd power at Antioch. Um, but uh, to where you can actually text in during the service real-time questions and interact that way. Uh, so it's going to be just a, a totally different thing. We'll have some panel discussions up here and some different things like that. But I, I've never heard anything like it, never seen anything like it. I'm just super fired up to do it. If you decide you want to go to both services, then that's, that's cool. You can do that too. Um, but the response I've had, the, the emails I've gotten, the people I've interacted with are people I haven't heard from in three years of Antioch. And so at least from where I sit in, in looking at that response, we're hitting on something that I think if I was sitting out there, I'd want hit on, which is when do we get to actually talk about this stuff and interact about it? So next, let's pray, and then we're going to jump into the Gospel of John. Father, um, it's fun when ministries uh, go on like this, and, and there's so many cool things. I pray, one, that we would give you all the glory and all the credit and, and all the joy as things are good and things are cool. And Father, I also pray that we would never just assume that this is how it's always going to be. And that if things are not cool and not fun and they're difficult, um, that we would be prepared and ready to give you all the glory um, and all the praise then as well. Um, but Lord, in the meantime, just, just fill us with a godly joy. Let us just celebrate some of the cool things going on. And I pray you'd continue to just knit this congregation together 
build the relationships um, so that we truly can be a community, a united community um, that reflects accurately what you desire, um, what you always desired for your people. In Christ's name, amen. All right, we're just going to go straight through this. This is John chapter 13, very famous passage. Um, and what we, we run into here is a problem we run into with Scripture. Uh, we Americans chop it up. We chop it up into bits, we chop it up into verses, and we pick it up in the middle of stories. And what happens is, it's like if you started a movie in the middle of the movie, you know, you're just like, ah, you know, like, this is just, I don't have the context. I don't have the character development. It's just not as fun. Can you imagine just jumping into the middle of Star Wars or whatever? Like, you're like, ah, who is Princess Leia, you know, and is, is Darth Vader his father? Like, I don't know, like... But you, you're asking all these questions, emotionally you're not engaged, you're just jumping in the middle of the story, and that's what we do to, to Scripture. We're jumping in right now in the middle of John. Um, and, and that's the, the problem we butt up against, is there's a real drama unfolding here. Uh, Jesus, who is sent by God, is God, to come and, and be the face to the people. You remember at the beginning of the this whole study, I, I shared the illustration of C.S. Lewis, where C.S. Lewis, when he was not yet a Christian, um, said to himself, you know what, how could the author of Hamlet, um, like, how could we ever inter- interact with the author, like Shakespeare and Hamlet? Like, how can Hamlet ever know Shakespeare? This is a great divide, you know, and then as he's processing through and a couple weeks later, it all kind of, the paradigm just comes to him. Um, he begins to realize, oh, there is a way for Hamlet to know Shakespeare, the author. And that's if Shakespeare, the author, writes into the play a character that is the attributes and the likeness of the author. So, so Shakespeare writes in Shakespeare. And in the play now, Hamlet can interact with Shakespeare, the representation of the author. And what the incarnation is, what John gives us, is that Jesus is written written into the story. The the word incarnation means that he's brought down in living color, and we're able to interact with this person that is the exact likeness of the Father. And we we see Jesus over and over and over again stressing this. I say only what I'm told to say. I do only what I'm told to do. I'm here serving the Father and interacting with you guys. And so... He comes in three years' time. He accomplishes what he was set out to do. And now he knows he's going towards his death. He's going to die this week. It's the week leading up to the Jewish Passover in Jerusalem. And Jesus is coming, and he knows he's going to be betrayed. He knows he's going to die. He knows it's going to hurt. And that's causing a lot of stress. Um, There's people, there's death threats. People are looking for him. The Jews have given the standing order that if you see him or you know where he's at, you're supposed to come let the authorities know. So he and his disciples have this drama going on. There's this secrecy. There's this, this tension in the air. Yet they just got welcomed into town by throngs, these crowds, these people, the just joyous, jubilant celebration with the palm branches brought up from Jericho, which is a, a military kind of political symbol like Jesus is his king, yet he does it on a donkey because Jesus is always trying to flip it over. The last shall be first, the first shall be last. And so the disciples seeing all this, I mean, their, their senses are just heightened. 
And where they're going with a lot of this is like, man, we're in the middle of like revolt. This is, we're in the middle of a revolution. It's like the Cuban revolution. You know, if you've ever seen documentary footage of Fidel Castro and Che Guevara and, and they're coming in and riding on the tanks and the people and, and yet there's dangers and there's plots and conspiracies and, and the disciples, man, they think they're in the middle of this revolution and they have been arguing kind of all along. What have they been arguing? Um, do I, who's going to be prime minister? I want to be secretary of state. Um, you know, hey, who gets the bigger office? Like, um, how about, you know, they've been fighting over who gets to be greatest in the kingdom. Um, this revolt, this revolution, this high drama, they're like, man, we're, we're leveraging a lot, we're risking a lot. What's the payoff? And the payoff is seen in terms of the kingdom, and their view of the kingdom is still really limited to political, socio-political change and upheaval and, and power. So they come into this dinner. Jesus has now removed himself from the public. And they come into this dinner, and, um, and they walk into this house, and they're sitting around this table. And here they are, and, and all of this drama is there. And Jesus gets up, and Jesus goes and he, he modifies his clothing, wraps a towel around his waist, takes on the, the air of a servant, and he takes a water basin that would have been there by the door. Now, this was a, a culture that wore sandals. The only paved roads were like these cobblestone kind of uh, Roman roads. No matter what kind of road you were walking on, it was dusty and it was dirty and you're wearing sandals. And when, when you came into a house, it was customary that either you would wash your feet um, or a servant would wash your feet. And in very few circumstances, the, the owner of the house might humble himself and, and wash your feet. But your feet needed to be washed, and that was just part of that symbolic kind of being clean, um, wash your hands before dinner kind of thing, right? And these disciples had come in, and since they're kind of all equals, and they're just borrowing this kind of room, um, nobody's feet have been washed. And, uh, and Jesus puts his towel on, he gets his basin of water, and he comes and he goes to wash the feet. And they're like, whoa, this isn't what we expected. Peter throws up the biggest fit. Uh, I'm not going to let you do that. You know, like, um, that's awkward. Um, have you ever had that emotion with somebody? Somebody goes to serve you, and it kind of is like awkward because... It's, it doesn't feel like they're not the wait, waiter, you know? Like, you don't expect it of them. It's not easy to accept it. It's, it's awkward. And so Peter's, like, trying to say that he values Jesus by going, no, 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 I don't want you to do that. It's awkward, whatever. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, um, you can have no part of me. And so then Peter says, you know, my whole body. Just wash my whole body. I'll take it all if that's what it's all about. And, and then Jesus moves on, and the rest of the guys kind of let him wash his feet. And then he's done, okay? And then from that, for, for 2,000 years in the American church, we've developed a habit of ritualistic foot washing. Isn't that exciting? Let me show you some pictures. This is, uh, the first one is a painting from Germany in the 1400s. Um, and it's the first time we realized that the disciples wore hats um, uh, but this is a scene depicting it. Here's how it looks in modern day. This is a bishop washing feet. Uh, 
on Monday, Thursday. Monday, Thursday is the Thursday before Easter. And up until just the, the last hundred years, the actual royal people in Austria and in Spain on Monday, Thursday would engage in this ritualistic foot, foot washing. Um, and the bishops would do that and things like that as a s- symbolic act of leadership, um, political leadership, bowing down and, and, and partaking of this kind of a thing. Um, the amount of denominations and, and organizations and traditions that engage in ritualistic foot washing is just huge. So if, if you've grown up in the church, you've probably run into this. The next picture is from a Baptist church. Um, guy getting his feet washed. And, uh, and that's just so in line with what Jesus is teaching here that I just thought we'd bring some water out on stage and just bring some people up and wash feet. Um, and I'm, and I'm, I'm at the height of as satirical as I can get right now. Um, that creeps me out. Like, I, I, these are probably good people, and I, I don't even know who they are, and that's okay. But I just got to let you know, that creeps me out. And, and the college kids I know that are walking away from Christianity... It's things like this. I'll be very honest. It's things like this because right off the bat, you sense an irony. There's an irony that what Jesus was getting at was a heart issue. Let's put up Jesus' words here in John. (laughs) When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. And he says what the whole point was. Do you understand what I've done for you? I've done this that you might understand something. I'm trying to teach you. I'm being an example. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Um, Charles Sheldon's book, In His Steps, uh, written well over 100 years ago, um, was a part of the initial social gospel movement. I thought when, when it was a good movement there. And if you, if you ever read that book, the phrase, in his steps, was coined in that book. So if you were a Christian 10 years ago, um, the, the phrase, the title was in his steps. The phrase he coined was, what would Jesus do? So if you were alive 10 years ago, um, you remember like the neon bracelets and all that and the WWJD campaigns and all that. It came from this book 100 years ago. And he got that phrase from 1 Peter. There's a phrase in 1 Peter where he got that. But the same idea shows up here. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done. What would Jesus do? I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You will be blessed if you randomly, in a public setting, bring somebody up that you don't even know, and you engage in ritualistic foot washing, even though we all take showers every morning or every other day. And we wear socks and we wear shoes, and, and you will be blessed if you do this high religious act. Oh. You can get mad at me, but to be honest with you, I'm in, I'm a pastor for this reason, if nothing else. 
the perversion of Christianity. Because we always pervert it, don't we? The prophets come and they, they no, it was supposed to be about justice and love and obedience and you're polluting it. Um, and then a couple hundred years and Jesus comes back and it's like, it's supposed to be about love and justice and people and God and, and, and not materialistic and not power and you're polluting it. You're taking the, the chief seats and you're wearing fancy clothes and you're doing religious acts to be seen by men and you're making it all about you and about the law and about externals and about the power and you're missing the people. Why you were here in the first place to serve, to love, to build up, to help, to nurture and, and we always take it, don't we? Even Luther, when he was nailing the 95 Theses, he was talking about the Pope in Rome who was exacting these, the, the money from the people by promising them that if they bought a piece of paper called an indulgence, that they could, they could buy years off of purgatory. That their sins would be forgiven by buying this paper. Why? So that, that money could be taken to build the new St. Peter's Cathedral. So you got Raphael, you got Michelangelo, you got... Um, all these guys painting and building and doing this wonderful, new, big, massive thing. If you've ever been to the Vatican, you know, you can see St. Peter's with the gold on the ceilings and everywhere. And he needed money for that. And he was selling things to people because the people now were a means to the end of the religious game. Do you see that? And Luther was like, I'm here with these people in this small town and they're being abused by the leaders. I want to talk about this. We always somehow begin to pervert it, don't we? And Jesus is saying to these guys like, hey, it's not about socio-political power. It's not the kind of kingdom I'm bringing. My teaching you guys for these last three years, it, it's been so that you would be able to shepherd and serve my flock. And you guys are debating the wrong thing, so let me take this bin, wash your feet because they're dirty, and show you the kind of heart that I want for my, my leaders. Okay? Jesus is, is doing what God always tries to bring us back to, which is, which is the heart of the matter. Do you understand what I'm saying? Our motives, what we're willing to do, how we're willing to be used by God, the heart of the thing. And when we, in public settings, bring people up for a high religious act that's like firewalking. I don't really want to do this, but if I get to the other side, I can claim it. And it's like a Boy Scout badge. And so let me do something really awkward and bring somebody up on stage. It's a really humiliating act, kind of awkward, socially awkward. But I'm going to do it, and then on the back side of this foot washing, I was, I was able to do that. I'm the right kind of leader. I could touch somebody's feet, you know. I mean, and, it, and it's not about the heart anymore. I don't even know who this person is. I just grabbed them out of the audience, touched their feet. Like, you know, like, it's, it's, you see how we, we slowly pervert things and make it about religion and externals and pride and ritual? And then we, we lose the point the point, the message, the heart. Do you understand, said Jesus? Can we raise our hand and say, yes, we understand? Can, can, can I? Can you? Can we raise our hand and say, Jesus, we get it. Um, it's about private, behind the scenes, living a life of service um, 
it's not about me. It's about building others up. It's about meeting needs. It's about love. I, uh, I had a seminary professor who, whose big thing was about making these grand points. When he had a church, he uh, would take the youth group to the morgue show him a dead body of a DUI like driver and then he would take him you know da 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 and it gets worse you know and his whole thing was shock value in the right way that you you shake people out of where they're at and you go oh wow that changes things what Jesus is doing here is not some ceremony it's authentic. It's, it's shock value because he cares about that. He's their rabbi. And he's trying to help them understand, like, look, guys, I know it's natural to, to claim things for yourself. It's not natural to divest yourself of things for other people. But see, I, I'm the teacher. I'm the master. You, you don't get to be out in front of me or above me. If you want to follow me, you're under me. How much more should you serve? If the king serves, how much more the king's attendant? Right? If the president is willing to hold a door for someone, how much more like his bodyguards? I'm, I, I'm an authority. You know I'm an authority. You know, you're right in knowing that because I am. How much more should you guys have a servant heart? I uh, worked at a camp. Um, when I first became a Christian, about a year later, I went to the summer camp. I was still, like, all over the map in my head. I didn't know what was what, really. Um, and I get there, and there's all these Bible college kids. Um, Mount San Bernardino Mountains up above uh, L.A. And so it's this Christian camp. The, f- the first day of full meetings, they tell us that they rotate us through, and, and everyone has one week during the summer where they, uh, they're going to clean the toilets around the camp. And then every Saturday, we turn the camp, which means we vacuum out all the, the bunks and we clean all the toilets and all the showers. They didn't, they didn't say that um, in the marketing material. <laughs> and there's about 40 of us. You have no idea what kind of issues that caused. No idea. what. I mean, hey, I signed up to be a counselor. You didn't tell me, you know, this isn't part of the, the deal, it's part of the agreement. Um, and the boss of the camp just left it there like, it is what it is. Uh, you want to be here, then, then that's what you do. Um, and we learned that our mamas had babied us too much that summer. A bunch of uh, American kind of kids and Bible kids began to realize how much we'd been babied. And we began to have to serve. And some people learned well. Others didn't, and it showed. Their Christianity was spotlighted, in it, and it was found wanting. And I remember halfway through the summer, a couple things I noticed. One, I noticed that the director of the whole camp, a guy by the name of Burt Downs, he was president at Western Seminary for a long time, if you know Burt Downs. Um, he would get up before everybody else and start cleaning. And we'd run into him as we were kind of going through and cleaning. And he would never talk about it. He'd never whatever. He'd just smile, give us a hug, and he'd keep right on cleaning. The second thing I noticed was a sign in the offices, um, the main camp offices, that said, service is love in working clothes. 
Service is love in working clothes. Service is love. Um, love doesn't belong in theological mumbo-jumbo. Love doesn't show up in ritual. Love doesn't show up in externals. Love shows up in service because it's a heart issue. Service is love in working clothes. And um, Justin read something to the staff this week from a book that we made all our elders read. Uh, we don't have any copies, but they'll order you some if you talk to the book, t- book ladies uh, at the book table on the way out. But this is Rick McKinley, who's a pastor in Portland, his book. And uh, I just like what he says here. Uh, following Jesus, this convenient assumption we have that following Jesus and pursuing the American dream are in complete harmony and will take us in pretty much the same direction. They won't. The reality of the kingdom is dangerous and beautiful and life-altering. And so he goes on to talk about what they did when they started Imago Day over there. They, they had this season of repentance for like six months. They prayed and they repented before they even launched the church. And it says this, We told him, we told God that we were afraid to follow him completely because we didn't want to look like idiots. We didn't want to risk losing our comforts. Now, of course, we were confessing realities most of us knew. But we'd been just good enough church folk not to say them aloud. Uh, There's a convenience to our lives, isn't there? Um, There's a thing about our our culture here this consumption materialistic culture and and um let me just jump right ahead but uh what's to our advantage in america is actually to our disadvantage we've built a whole society around comfort built a whole society around comfort and that's to our advantage right yeah Um, but it's also to our disadvantage. The first shall be last. We don't know how to be last. Um, Those who give up win. We don't know how to give up. Those who make it about others are the right kind of people. They have the right heart. We really don't know how to make it about anyone but ourselves. And even when we help other people, there's usually an angle to bring it back to ourselves. This is me. This is you. This is us. It's America. And what's to our advantage is to our disadvantage. And it's a really weird thing. We, We have an ambition to... To serve, um, you know, that idea and ambition to serve is about as incoherent as, um, as an ambition to drink Drano. Who, I mean, I, who has an ambition to serve? It's incoherent to us. It says in Scripture, Paul says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, I acted like a child, I was a child. But when I became older, when I became a man, I had to think like a man, reason like a man, act like a man. We're growing a culture of children in America. Our consumption mentality. What what is characteristic of a child? It's all about me. I want to be served, right? What are we growing in our culture? Our reason for making money, our reason for our career, our reason for getting ahead is so that life will become easier and easier and easier. Isn't that the goal? 
It, it gets better and better and better, and I have more and more resources to um, get what I want and what I want and what I want, or to give and to give and to give. And, but it, it's this progression of wanting to be in this position where I am in control, and I, I, I get all that I want. We're, our whole goal, our whole aim in this culture is to grow into childhood and make it all about ourselves. I mean, I mean there's a, a book that Matt has called Consumed that's all about this. It looked too big for me to read, so I left it in his office. Um, and uh, he dared me to say this this morning. And uh, um, I had a temptation, like I wanted to make the whole sermon about that picture of foot washing. Like instead of talking about how we could become servants, just to vent about my frustrations with cultural Christianity. And I wasn't going to go there at all. I think I kind of did. Um, this is a temptation too. Um, what is God's purpose for you? Ephesians says you were, you were, I mean, God knew before you were even born, you were created for works of service that God has prepared for you. You are a tool. You're a vessel. You're, you're this thing that has gifts and strengths and abilities uniquely suited to, to this job that God has for you, this calling, this opportunity, before you were even born, right? God wanting to, to work through you and use you. Um, so what are our trials and our difficulties? When life doesn't go our way, my, my children, um, I see this in them, they, they whine. It's what whining is, isn't it? I'm not getting my way. As adults in this culture, we whine a lot. I mean, if you know me, like, I, I hide it, but I whine all the time. Like, I, 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 I mean, I'm, I can whine pretty good. Like, you know, and I'm just smart enough to, to mask it. Like, I'm not really whining. It's just other people's fault or something, you know. But when we don't get our way, we whine. And it's us saying the world revolves around me. It's not revolving around me. Pity me. Fooey on the world. Fooey on everything. Fooey on the sovereignty of God working in my life. Pity me. Self-pity. And we whine. Now what's going on there is this. God, his sovereign plan, who he is, his majesty, his glory, his bigness, and his plan for you is big. And then here we are with our plan for our own life, which is really about our comforts and circumstances. And when we whine, we're saying that this big thing is small and this small thing is big. So when Matt and I were brainstorming, which, man, it's like, it's like honey. Like Matt, Matt's got a brain like you wouldn't imagine. You should like all pretend you're in college and go to a college group. Um, seriously, like you guys should like, you know, dress up collegiate and go to the college group and listen to Matt. Um, so here's the idea when we were talking was, was this, the sacrilege of empathy. Sacrilege is when you take something big and you make it seem small. Idolatry is when you take something small and you make it seem big. And when we are whining, what's the cultural norm? 
If I'm whining, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to pat me on the back, right? Empathize. Oh, it'll get better. It's all right. It's not so bad. I love you. You know, give me a hug. Like, we're, we're culturally supposed to empathize with people when they're in this position. And what Matt and I were thinking was, you know what? Maybe that is sacrilege. Maybe we're, we're feeling compelled to do something that affirms idolatry. Maybe like Jesus, we should have stronger words and just be like, look, dude, I know it's bad, but God's sovereign. What did he make you for? What could you do in these circumstances? I know you're losing your house. I know you're going through bankruptcy. But you can still pick up your phone and call somebody and encourage them. I mean, you can still pick some flowers, you know, in, in the house you're going to lose and take it to somebody who's going to die or has a loved one that's going to die or a kid that's an orphan or somebody that's, that's got it worse than you because they, they grew up in a home that, that was abusive. They're all messed up. Or you can, like, take and go and smile at, at the checkout counter worker. Or you can um, see the opportunity of this job that's way below your pay grade that you had to take. That maybe, just maybe, God has brought you there for a reason. And that if you wait long enough before you whine, He'll use you. And maybe like if we understood what Jesus was saying, instead of empathizing, the sacrilege of empathy, and there's a time to empathize. If you don't hear me wrong, there's a time for empathy, right? There's a time for everything. But maybe we do that too readily, and what we should do is live an example um, that others might see, hey, even if you think you're something, if you're nothing, it's, it's good. Um, and this passage, it goes on. Jesus says, if you do this, you will be blessed. Where did we hear that before? If you obey my command here and serve and be last, you will be blessed. Where have we heard that before? We heard it in the Ten Commandments. There's one Ten Commandment with a promise. The rest of them are like, do this, do this, do this, do this. Do this that you may be blessed. Honor your father and your mother. You do it regardless of whether they deserve it. You do it regardless of whether they're honorable people. You do it regardless of whether you like them. You honor them because God has told you to honor them. And guess what? If you think you're going to lose by honoring people that don't deserve it, I'm going to help you win. I'll bless you. It'll, it'll, it may go well with your life. So you just do what I said. It's, it's illogical, but I'm going to take care of you. And, and Jesus says the same thing here because he's asking the same thing. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you do. And it doesn't matter whether they deserve it. Jesus is saying, you arm yourself with my kind of heart. You lower yourself. You be humble. You give. You love. You serve. It's illogical. You're going to lose. It's not going to make sense. And it's, it's going to be hard work. But I'm going to take care of you. Do you trust him? Do we trust him? We have, do we have the faith to believe that he'll take care of us if we humble ourselves and give away rather than try to take? And so those of us um, that ought to be mature enough to follow Jesus' example, we become an example for others gently so that instead of self-pity, they use their opportunity and their circum and circumstances to glorify God. When I am weak, says Paul, I am strong. 
Like in my weakness, I get it so much more and I lean on God's strength and I bring him so much more glory than when I'm too busy juggling all my toys. Does that make sense? All right, so in rapid fire succession, here's the application. What Jesus was getting at with washing the, the, dishes, uh, the, uh, washing the disciples' feet is, is a lot like dishes. Um, it's common everyday stuff. Those people's feet, was, it was common everyday stuff. It, behind closed doors, just natural. It's a lot like washing the dishes. It's like Thanksgiving dinner. How many um, of, of us guys just sit there and let the women do it? Well, I'm tired. I ate a lot. Well, football... <laughs> football's on. Well, not now, or oh, that's not what I do. That's what she does. Okay. See, that's exactly, the, that, that's what Jesus is getting at. Um, I heard a great story of Chuck Smith, that Chuck Smith, if you remember, he kind of started the whole Calvary Chapel movement. When he would go speak at places, and he'd be at conference centers and hotels, he would just slip out during dinner, go back to the kitchen, and start washing dishes. He wouldn't tell anybody. He'd just go do it. This is what Jesus is talking about. Um, it's washing dishes, it's, it's, um, it's, it's going back into the kitchen, it's Justin and Caitlin at the office taking the trash out even though no one sees. It's, it's, it's John Paldaychuk who brings the trailer here every week and nobody knows. He's the first one up, the first one here every week for three years. Never had to call him, um, never had any reason to sit down and try and figure it out. Three years of making it happen. I didn't, I didn't get to say this during the three-year three anniversary, but it's the Kent family. I was going to tell the whole church, go say happy birthday to the Kents, because more than any other lay family in this church, they've done um, the things to serve and to build and to, to create this thing without any glory, without asking for accolades. They just served. It's, it's these little things that Jesus is getting at. It's just diving to the bottom of the pile and trusting that Jesus is going to take care of you. He's going to bless you. He's going to honor you. The last truly will be first. So there's two things here. There's an attitude towards service. Two things I really want us to walk away with. We have a bad attitude towards service in conservative Christian circles. What I mean by that is we read random acts of kindness on bumper stickers and we go, what's that? It's not Christian. It's stupid. It's not Christian. The Peace Corps, pfft. That was Kennedy set that up. I don't know. It's not Christian. I don't like it. You shouldn't send somebody to go do it, you know, because it's not Christian. What's the value of that? We, we do something really silly. Um, here, here's a Gandhi quote. The best way to find yourself is to lose, lose yourself in the service of others. Gandhi got it. Gandhi did it. Pfft, wasn't a Christian. He's probably a bad guy. I don't like him. It's not a Christian. He had bad theology. He wasn't a Calvinist. Um, we have this really weird legalistic view towards service that, that insulates us from this, this responsibility to do what Jesus commanded to do. I love Bono. I think we should call Bono St. Bono. Have you seen what he's been doing in the last decade or so? No single person in my mind, non-politician, is doing more in this world to help poor people than Bono. Tirelessly campaigning and lobbying for poor people. Ah, he's probably a fake Christian. Probably not even real. I don't like his music. It's rock. It's, wears funny glasses. You know, I liked him when he had long hair. You know, like, I mean, you know what I'm saying? 
we, I don't know where it comes from, but we have this way of insulating ourselves. And when we see service, love in working clothes, we try and judge it and slice it up and analyze it and then, and then find ways of making it not an okay thing. It's, it, we have this weird attitude towards service. Uh, we're legalistic. We want to tie loads up on people. You need to be more moral. You know that? You need to do more ritualistic things like that bishop and uh, look more spiritual. We tie up heavy loads to make people contort themselves and work hard to look a certain way. We wash people's feet in cement buckets. It's, 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 there's something about religion that drives me crazy. Come to the Q&A service. We'll really get at it, right? Um, why do we do this? Because it's not our tribe. We're just as tribal as those Congolese people, the Hutus and the Tutsis. We have this cultural Christian tribe that we belong to. And just like McKinley's book, it's safe. We're just good enough to kind of not have to articulate the things we're not doing and that we know that, that are wrong about us. We can kind of hide in our tribe. And then when Gandhi does something cool, wow, well, he wasn't here. My team didn't score any points. Bono, I don't, I don't know that he's on my team. I don't know that we score any points. I mean, he talks to, like, organizations that I don't know that we would talk to, like the NAACP. Um, we're tribal. And we hide in that. We don't see the master doing something that we just have to then obey. Um, we look at our tribe, and, and we go with the herd. We have this weird attitude towards service. Service is love and working clothes. We need to serve. Before we start arguing about silly theological things, if we're not serving, we don't really get Jesus. And our theological things are probably just words anyways at that point. It's amazing that Jesus, the people he highlighted, like here's somebody amazing. It's this woman that gives the last of her money, this Roman that had a lot of faith, this servant guy that had, I mean, he, he, he takes the weirdest people that we would look at as not being part of our tribe, and Jesus says, wow, this is good. I like this. Can we get outside of our tribe long enough to, to recognize that good is good? And that sometimes the pagans have something to teach us about how we're not true, that we're a little bit hypocritical? So we've got to get out of our tribe. That's the first thing, attitude towards service. Second thing is men. Um, this wasn't, the band can go ahead and come up. Um, let's just say this quick. This isn't like a men suck sermon, but... Um, it is. Like, Jesus took his men aside. His men aside. His leaders in, in training aside. And he says, I got some leadership talk for you, men. Um, you like to win. You like to get ahead. You're smug. You like to arrive where everything revolves around you. You're aggressive. You don't want to slow down. You want to conquer. Um, you want a slap on the butt from Jesus. I played baseball on the coach. Like, it was really interesting. If he doesn't want to talk to you, you get a slap on the butt. If he wants to talk to you, he grabs your shoulders, no slap on the butt, and he looks you in the eye, and he wants to talk to you. And we want to run out on that field and conquer. We want a slap on the butt from Jesus. But men, Jesus is grabbing us and looking at us at the shock value of what he did. And Peter's like, well, it's awkward, Jesus. And Jesus looks him in the eye. I don't care how awkward it is. You've got to take all of it. You've got to swallow the whole thing. I've got to wash all of you unless you, you don't get any part of me. Hear me now. I want you to serve. You're not higher than me. 
you're, you're not higher than your wife because you're not higher than Christ who served. Do the dishes on Thanksgiving. That's me. I don't know that I've ever done them. I'm going to do them this year, right? Because this is my, it's like therapy, right? This is where God's going to hit me. Um, serve, men. Lead in this church by how you serve. Become the people that God wants to bless by how you serve. Let's not reinforce our pettiness or our, our, our juvenileness. And it doesn't matter if football's on. It doesn't matter that you got a fantasy player playing. And it doesn't matter that men, let's lead and let's be an example to each other instead of the sacrilege of empathy and whining with each other. And um, so let's not just care about our tribe. Men, let's take, take the reins and lead. Let's, let's realize there's really one of two paths. Jesus did this, and you either respond like Peter or you respond like Judas. Judas, he didn't dig it at all. Okay, I want to go back to the sociopolitical thing. I want to go back to the power. I want to go back to the money. You're not going to get me there. I'll go sell you. Where can I get it? We do that all the time. We are Judases. We take, we take our faith in what we ought to do and we compromise and we trade it away for something else that we think is going to pay more. Or we're, or we're Peter over here or Paul or whatever saying, I'll take all of it. I'll serve. I'll dive to the bottom of the pile. Wash the whole thing. Let me follow you. When I'm weak, I'm strong. Let's, let's, not, let's not hide and be Judas's. Father,